This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me start with uh, some prayer. Father, I thank you um, just for your majesty, for your glory. I thank you that um, we are here today considering the beauty of your gospel. I thank you that you've given us eyes to see to some degree the, the majesty and the wonder and the beauty of your king, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we take some time just to consider um, the good news of what you've done, that we would learn from what Isaiah has said to Israel. Because we know that these things were written down uh, for us on whom the end of the age have come. We know, we know that, uh, that, that your prophecies were, were difficult and not clear even for the prophets themselves. And yet because of Jesus Christ, You've, you've turned on a light switch. You've, you've illuminated our eyes to see the glory and the majesty of what, uh, what is in this passage, Lord. So I pray that you would just help us with that. Pray that your spirit would stir our hearts and help us see today more of the beauty and the majesty of your king, our savior and his kingdom. In your name I pray, amen. So this morning, as we jump uh, back into Isaiah, uh, we're going to be talking about gospel beauty, uh, gospel beauty. And if you uh, are familiar with our giant banner here and have any history with Emmaus, the fact that the, the gospel is beautiful or the beauty of the gospel, that, that phrase has been something that we've thrown around for, for a long time. It's a, uh, uh, one of the most consistent themes since I've been in Emmaus in 2014 is this idea that the gospel is beautiful. And if you know what the word gospel means, it's almost redundant to say gospel beauty because the, the, the word gospel really just comes from a word that means good news. So it's like good news beauty. But, but the idea is that we're, we're trying to say that the good news, that the gospel, when we say it's beautiful, we're trying to say that it's attractive, we're trying to say that you should be drawn to it. And it's difficult because of our sin, because of our short-sightedness in some cases, because of situations that we get in or the chaos that we have to deal with. It's much, much easier for us to be drawn to other things. And there are other beautiful things in the world. You know, the paintings this morning are a good example of that. You walk in and you're just like, wow, you know, that's like, a pretty intense landscape that's also upside down and there's waterfalls. You know, it's, it's just, it kind of stands out. It's, it's beautiful. And it, you don't have to, you don't have to, your eyes just go towards it. And so what we're trying to say is the good news, the reality of, of what you, who Jesus is and what he's done should be something that we're just drawn to. It should be something that we're drawn to. And in Isaiah, I think part of the difficulty in kind of deciphering all these things that are going on is Isaiah is set in a particular historical context. Isaiah is set at a time when God's people were going through some pretty tumultuous things. They're, they're, they had rejected God time after time after time. And because of their consistent 
rejecting of the good news that God was proclaiming to them, God steps in and acts in history through other nations, through things going on within the people of God to purify his people. He's determined, and we've said this kind of a handful of different times, he's determined to draw his people back to him. And the the name of our series is The Lord Waits. Because as he works all these things out in history, as he's moving armies, as he's changing kings within the nation, he's working all of these things out, he's waiting for his people to come back and enjoy his presence. So here we are in Isaiah 33, where, where Isaiah himself is sort of sharing the good news. He, he's sharing this, this reality that even though there's all sorts of tumultuous things going on, even though God is bringing a measure of his wrath and judgment through other kings, through bad kings within the nation of Israel, within the people of God, even though it's like chaos, Isaiah is presenting to us good news. And that kind of gets to our our first point. Why do we need gospel beauty? Why do we need the gospel to be beautiful? Why do we need to be attracted to it? And the short answer to that is that there's a lot of bad news. Bad news is all over the place. Whether it's something we're struggling with, whether it's a, a difficulty within the community, whether it's big picture city issues, whether it's stuff going on in the country, whether it's uh, energy crisis, uh, different places around the world, it, we're, or, we're sort of like overwhelmed with all the bad news. It's, it's, you don't even have to be attracted to it. It's just like a flood of bad news sometimes that's coming at you. And that's what's happening. That's kind of what Isaiah is making the point in chapter 33. In the first couple of ver- the first verse there, he's actually referencing. You can mark right if you have your little journals, just write chapter ten. He's referencing some of the things that are happening outside of Israel to Israel. The, these the, these other nations that have this pride, that have this like confidence that as they come in and just wreck house on Israel, that they're just they're so great and they're doing so awesome, and, and God's using them to refine His people. But eventually, he's going to judge them for their foolishness and for their sin. And he kind of explains this in detail in chapter 10. But look at what he says here in verse 1. He says, Ah, you destroyer who yourself have not been destroyed. You're wreaking havoc to my people, but havoc is going to be wrecked on you because of your pride, because of your sin. He says, You traitor whom, whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have finished betraying, they will betray you. And you see, the, the context here is the bad news. The reality is that there is another nation at this time coming in and destroying the, God's people. God's, God's using them. They're a part of his instrument, they're part of his refining fire to get the people the way he desires them to be, to, 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 to shape and form his people. And we spent a whole uh, sermon talking about how in suffering is what God uses to make us more into the image of his son. He did it with Jesus. He did it with his people in the past and he does it with us today. But it's, it's chaotic. And he says, even though all these things are happening and you're, you're, you're coming, I'm using you, you're coming in with pride. You're coming in ignoring me. You're coming in thinking that, that you're so great. And, and even though I'm using you to refine my people, 
I will judge you for what you are doing. And he's speaking this to the nations. And, and Isaiah says, he, he kind of offers this prayer in verse two. He says, oh Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you, be our arm every morning, our salvation in time of trouble. And just kind of describing at the, at the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, when you rise to refine your people, nations are scattered. It kind of gives the analogy of, uh, of locusts coming in and sort of wiping out, um, wiping out the crops or, or just sort of like, a, a, I'm picturing like these YouTube videos when there was all these, uh, were they crickets in Vegas? They, was it crickets or? It was, it was like, like you could shovel them from the door. It was like, uh, oh, it was so nasty. Yeah, it was like, like, like people were like, like walking through, like creeping, crawling. Yeah, it was pretty, yeah, right? We're all like, and that, but he's making this like, if you're growing crops and that's the kind of situation you're dealing with, that's not, you can't, you can't do anything about that. Like that's just coming in as this wave. And he's describing all of this. And he says, why? He says, the, uh, verse five, he says, the Lord is exalted for he, he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and with righteousness. He knows he will be the stability of your times. The, the, the Lord is the one where, where we have this measure of stability, but, but chaos is happening around us right now. He says, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. The fear of the Lord. It's an interesting statement. The fear of the Lord. And I think it helps us because we're, we're talking about gospel beauty. Why do we need to be attracted to good news? Why do we need that? And the reality is that there's a, there's a lot of bad news around. But that bad news, the, the chaos in the world, whether it's the armies in Israel, whether it's the things that we're dealing with in Denver, whether it's a struggle with your own heart, the, the, the bad news comes because there's a separation the relationship between God and man has been broken. The relationship between God and man has been broken. There, there, there is no longer the same sinless fellowship that Adam and Eve had walking in the garden in the cool of the day with God himself. And, and, and this is the, the worst of all news is that when a holy God is present as, as Ben described today, when a holy God is present, an all-consuming fire, for those of us who have sinned, which is all of us since Adam and Eve, that should be terrifying. That should be fear-inducing. And one of my favorite language professors says, do you know what fear means in the original language? Fear. <laughs> scary, terrifying. And it's difficult. And we're talking about this idea of the good news, but before we get to what that is and why, how that matters for the rest of our life, we have to wrestle with the reality of the bad news. We have to, we have to be honest with ourselves and say that God was genuinely present and we consider his holy character and his nature and how we fall short of what he requires of us as he created us. He made us for his glory and to worship him and to praise him. And even the beautiful things that are painted on the screen are reflections of all the good gifts that God has given everyone, everyone to enjoy. 
And yet daily, hourly, weekly, we completely ignore him. And it would be right for God, holy, perfect, just, pure. It would be right for God to pour out his wrath and consume us for rejecting him. That should give us some fear. That's genuinely the worst news. Isaiah kind of goes on and he's speaking now. He's kind of spoke first of the bad news out there, you know, like the world is chaos. And he kind of goes more inward and he's looking at the people of God and he's like, the bad news keeps getting worse. He says, behold, their heroes cry in the streets the envoys of peace weep bitterly, the highways lie in waste, the the traveler ceases, covenants are broken, cities are despised, there's no regard for man. The land mourns and languishes, Lebanon is confounded and withers away. That was a, Lebanon was like where all the big forests were. And he's like, it's withered away. Sharon is like a desert that was known for its like beautiful, um, I wanna say gardens, but more like natural. I don't know what the word, like just beautiful scenery. It was just gorgeous. I'm thinking of like in certain times in Texas when the blue bonnets are everywhere. Just like you can see it and it just looks really pretty. So Sharon is like a desert. Bashan and Carmel, other uh, just places where there's a ton of, of bounty shake off their leaves. He's looking around in at the people of God in Israel, and he's saying, there's just more bad news. And he reminds us that this is from the Lord. Verse 10, he says, now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. He's like, all the things you do, my people, all the things you do, the people of God, You conceive chaff, you give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you. Your own mouths destroy yourself. And the peoples will be as if burned to lime, the thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. It says, hear, hear you who are far off what I have done what I have done. God's reminding us that the the tumultuous things that are happening in the world, that are happening in the people of God, these are all things from God's hands. So what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. Look at what he says in verse 14. This is important. Gospel beauty. Why do we need to be attracted to the good news? Because there's a lot of bad news. Got to be real with that. Verse 14 is kind of like the summary of this. The sinners in Zion, Zion is God's people. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? 
who can dwell with God? Isaiah knows that all the other bad news are centered around this one reality. They're centered around that broken relationship between God and man that's caused the rest of the world to go into chaos. Who can dwell in God's presence? Who can stand before him? Who can walk up to the throne of God and say, I'm good. Yeah, you want, we want to get to the good news. We have to sit on this for a second. This is a real problem. This is why there's so many broken things in the world. This is why you struggle internally. It's because that relationship that we have with God and his presence is fractured. He tells us, okay, well, who? Here's the answer in verse 15. Great, now we have the answer. The one who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppression, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, he will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be a fortress of rocks. His bread will be given to him. His water will be sure. Just do everything right. Don't even look at anything that could possibly be wrong and everything will be fine. <laughs> Done. That's more bad news. But that's the problem. That's why we need to be attracted to good news. We need to be drawn in to the beauty and wonder of the gospel. Because if we're honest, if we're really like assessing the situation, I don't have what it takes to be in the presence of God and enjoy him forever. You don't have what it takes to restore that relationship so that he can begin to heal and transform and change things around you. You can't. You can't. So if we need to be attracted to the gospel, because there's so much bad news, a good place to start is what is the gospel? <laughs> what is the gospel? In Emmaus Kids, that's one of the questions we ask them every week. And it's kind of baked into the question because we want this to just be like drilled into their minds as you guys as well. The question is, why is Jesus the gospel? Why is Jesus good news? Does anyone know the answer? <laughs> I bet if I brought Rhett out here, he could tell me. <laughs> Jesus loved his father perfectly, loved his neighbor perfectly, and took the punishment for those who don't. Jesus is good news because I need him to be in God's presence. Jesus is good news. Jesus can go to the throne of God and say, I have done everything right. Give me what I deserve. He can do that. 
He can say every moment of my life was focused on in considering how to glorify you, how to honor you, how to do exactly what you desire for your people. And at the same time, I went to the cross because I have no sin. Jesus can say I'm spotless. I haven't done anything wrong. I went to the cross and took punishment that your people deserved so that I could restore that relationship. That's the good news. Jesus is the good news. Who he is and everything he's done is the only thing that can restore what is broken. Is the only thing that can begin to resolve all of the bad news. I love the way Isaiah puts it. Verse 17. There's all of this bad news that he shared with us. And he says, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Your eyes will behold your beautiful king. Do you think your king is attractive? Are you drawn to him? Can you not help but go back and consider who he is and what he's done? Sometimes the answer is no. I'm not attracted to him. Sometimes the answer is, I see other things as more attractive. That's discouraging. And I think part of finding him as beautiful, part of seeing and being attracted to the wonder and the majesty and the beauty of our king is being honest with ourselves about the bad news. (laughs) being honest with ourselves that all of these other issues that are going on day to day, the things that stress me out, the things that I fear less than God, the things that happened in the past that I relive, the stuff that I'm trying to orchestrate, all of those things are ultimately just like surface level issues. They're not good, (laughs) they're problems. But if we just stay up here, I can usually kind of fix some of that myself. But if we're honest about the bad news, if we say, actually, the issue is that the relationship between me and the creator of the world has been fractured. The issue is that I need more of the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the presence of God. That's the main issue. That's the, that is the root of every problem in the rest of my life. That's the root of all the broken things in the world. The only thing that can begin to restore that relationship, the only thing that can have me come and worship and and praise God and cry out to him like he's my father, the only thing that can give me some measure of trust that the chaos that's happening in my life is actually being used by God for my good and for his glory is Jesus Christ himself. He's the only one that can solve all of that. I love how he goes on. 
talks about the, this, this beautiful king, the, the good news of what Jesus would do. It's actually, um, if, you have, if you're in Isaiah, flip forward to chapter 42. I'm kind of bringing in, Isaiah is a huge book, and the next section we're gonna do is gonna talk about the servant. Isaiah, it very much expands upon this idea of a king that will come, that will do all of these wonderful and amazing things that will begin to restore things that are broken. So I'm sort of bringing some of that in from future parts of Isaiah when we talk. We, we, sort of, we know the end of the story. We know the reality of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. So we're, we're bringing all that in. But Isaiah, in the later, later, latter half of the book, begins to explain all these wonderful things about the servant. In verse, chapter 42 is, a, I think, just a little taste of that. He says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. This is our beautiful king. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He will not give up until he has spread the glory of God, the justice of God, the word of God throughout all of the earth. That's the beauty of our king. So we, talking about gospel beauty, why do we need to be attracted to who Jesus is and what he's done? Because it, when we take a second to be honest about things going on in the world, in our hearts, in our community, in our families, the, the, there's a lot of bad news. Things are not right. And at the core of that is the broken relationship between God and man. That, that's the most messed up thing. So we need to be attracted to Jesus, we need to be attracted to the one who can actually restore that relationship, bring us into the presence of God. We can, as we read this morning, we can approach the throne of glory with confidence because of the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. So where does all of this matter? What we read in chapter 42 we read in chapter 42 gives us like a hint. She's having a great time over there, it looks like. Yes. <laughs> happy baby, happy parents. I think we're all on board with that. <laughs> but we just, just move them all into the... <laughs> Looking at everyone's faces. <laughs> um, there's a reason why there's childlike faith. <laughs> Where does this matter? Like, where does this work itself out? And chapter 42 is saying everywhere. Like, the servant is determined to spread his glory and his majesty all over the earth. And we go back to chapter 33. He kind of gives us a little more details on the beauty of this king and what comes with a king is a kingdom. What comes with a king is a kingdom. 
So when we talk about the story of the Bible, we talk about creation, fall, promise, redemption, what Jesus Christ has done, and then the other arrow is, is kingdom, and we look forward to the new creation. We have a king, so now we are part of his kingdom. And in an in a amazing way that we just can't genuinely understand, that majestic, beautiful king is united to us. He, he is in you and working through you to spread the majesty and the glory of his kingdom everywhere, throughout all of creation. Because he's so great. <laughs> because he is working in you to reflect his character through you. Even when we, when we do baptism, we're gonna talk about how in Christ, because we're united to him, Paul can say with a straight face, we've died with him. The punishment for all our sins has been put in the grave, nailed to the cross, and we've resurrected with him with a new life. So we have life to work in and through Christ in the world, in this kingdom reality. We have life to spread that all over creation. And he is sharing this in the image of Zion, the image of God's people as he looks forward to the beauty of the king. He's also looking forward to the beauty of Zion, the beauty of God's people who have been transformed by this king. He says, behold, Zion, verse 20, the city of our appointed feast, your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent, whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. This is such a contrast between the Zion of before, where it's all just kind of falling apart. It's all just crumbling around him. He says, look, you're gonna see God's people, God's kingdom in a way that can't be shaken, in a way that can't be deterred, in a way that, that nothing can get in the way of what God is doing in and through his king. Why? Verse 22 for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. I think those are important. Think about those words, judge, lawgiver, and king. Judge, lawgiver, and king. What broke the relationship between God and man? Deciding that Adam had a better idea. <laughs> like, he knows better than God. He can discern what is right and wrong without God's word. And now, as you and I are united to this wonderful, majestic, beautiful king who is ruling and reigning on his throne, the way that this matters in every aspect of our lives is the Holy Spirit working in and through us begins to change us to restore that relationship so we stop saying, I'm the ruler, I'm the judge, I have the best way to do things, I'm in charge of stuff, I'm building my little kingdom. Now we're submitting through the Spirit and saying, the Lord is our king. The Lord is the one who discerns right and wrong. He is the judge. We submit to what he has decreed about who I am and the people around me. And he's the lawgiver. He's the one that gives us the structures and the direction of everything we do in our life. Look at what? Second Timothy, I should have this verse in the slides, probably way down there. Second Timothy chapter three, 
starting in verse 14. We're skipping ahead over a thousand years to the New Testament. <laughs> Tying some of these things together. Help, helping us understand why do we need to be attracted to the good news of who Jesus is? Like, where does this matter? It matters in every part of our lives. It matters all over the world. He's given us his law. He's given us his discernment about right and wrong. He's communicating his rule to us, and he does that through his word. Starting in verse 14, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, with the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What's super fascinating about that is Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, remember that your Old Testament, your book of Isaiah and the rest have made you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Like Jesus Christ is what the Old Testament was teaching you about. Verse 16, he goes on to say, all scripture is breathed out by God. These are, these are words that come from God himself. Other parts of the Bible will tell us that he uses men, like, like people that wrote it were carried along by the spirit but these words are breathed out by God. He's the, he's the author of the things that we're reading today. They're breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I'm giving you all of these structures. I'm, I'm communicating my law to you, my judgments to you, my rule and authority to you, all of these things. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work. Amen. Not some of the good things God calls us to do. Not most of the good things that God calls us to do, but equipped for every good work. Amen. Every good work. Where does the good news of Jesus's rule and reign matter? Everywhere. Everywhere. And I think that's where, as we work through scripture, as we try to do this together as a community, we come across situations where we're like, what does God have to say about this? How, do we, how should we think about this? What would it look like for Christ to be my lawgiver and begin to restore the relationship that I have between God and myself here? <laughs> what does that look like? That can be, in our, our relationships with our children. Just interesting that it cause, calls dads as we relate to our children to be gentle and kind and not exasperate them. Because <laughs> we're like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he, Jesus knows better <laughs> and he's communicating that to us. But it also calls us to teach them wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs, we talked about it last week. Action consequence, action consequence. 
Like there, there's a lot there, even in that book. You could spend a long just considering how God is giving us his law to make sense of the world and to restore that relationship between us and God. Work, the same thing. We're to work heartily unto God or hardly unto those around us, sorry, as if to God. Like how many of us have had a boss that like doesn't deserve hard work from me, <laughs> right? You're like, like, okay, whatever you say, you know? God's like, hey, I know better. I'm the lawgiver. I'm saying work hard for them just as you would work hard for me. And it's interesting too, he says, <laughs> so that God would be glorified, not for, not for lip service to other men. And I think a lot of times, how many things do we do at work because we know that that will kind of strategically get us in the right place for like the next thing. And then if we just, you know, if we do this little project and this person happens to be involved, they'll just happen to see that they know what I was involved. And God's saying, I know better. As lawgiver, I'm saying, you should be considering me always in your work. You should be considering my grace and mercy to you when you're lazy. You should be considering my praise and just thankfulness when you're working and considering me. I want to go back to Isaiah 33. And I kind of went over this really fast, but all the way back, and we'll end with this. Verse five and six, I think, is a really good summary of these things. As we consider, like, where does this matter? all over the place, considering the good news of who Jesus is and what he's doing and the, the, the reality that there's bad news. He says, the Lord is exalted. Verse five and six, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He's gonna do this. He's gonna transform his people and he will be the stability of your times. He will be the stability of your times. And he goes on and says, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And when we talk about God and fearing him, I don't think of that as like my treasure. That sounds to me like just scary. But how many other things in our lives do we fear that literally make us unstable. I mean, I was communicating to Cole and Bridget, I think, this morning, like the fear of the fact that that baptismal could be there and filled up and not leaking and all the, you know, like just the fear of that not happening correctly as we get to celebrate today was like changing how I thought and what I did. My fear was orienting my life around something that who knows, who knows what was going to happen. There's no stability there. I told Bridget, God provided more abundantly than we could ever ask or think because there was a hose in there that reached all the way and had no leaks. <laughs> I was, I was praising the Lord for the hose and repenting of my, but if I feared him, if everything about my life was related to what he was thinking, what he was doing, what he was in control of, so much more stability there. There's so much more stability there. I know he loves me and is gonna build his kingdom. I know his king is sitting on his throne and is gonna spread his glory throughout all of creation. 
Nothing that could have happened with that baptismal would have changed what God is determined to do. What the the servant will never get tired of doing is determined to do until all of creation is filled with the glory of God. If my fear of God was orienting everything going on in my life, there's so much more stability there. There's so much more stability there. That's wonderful. God has communicated his law to us here. It's not changing. The the few pages later, it says the the flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of God goes nowhere. It's always the same. It's wonderful. It's stabilizing. It's gracious. It's kind. It's wise. Everything we possibly need. So as we think about the gospel, as we think about the beauty and the wonder of everything that Jesus is, everything that he's doing, everything that he's communicated to us and said, here's my law. Here's how I want your life to work. He's sharing those things with us so that we would fear God and have stability when everything around us is chaos. That's wonderful. That's relaxing. That's freeing. And what that does is it begins to restore the relationship that's broken between us and God. We begin to see God present in every part of our lives. We begin to be comforted by who he is and what he's doing. And it's not because we're so great and we figured it out and we're doing all the right things. It's because of what Jesus is doing. He is determined to restore the relationship between you and God. That's wonderful. And we can rest in that. That's, the, that's, that's a gospel. That's good news that we can find attractive. That stability is good news that we can be drawn towards. That's, that's the wonder. That's our, the spirit working in a supernatural way to let our eyes see the beauty of our king. That's awesome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a holy, majestic God. If I were to be in your throne room, like Isaiah, I would say, woe is me, and I would fall on the ground. But at the same time, you communicate your son. You communicate the beauty and the majesty of the only one who could walk up to your throne and say, I'll take it from here. Lord, you, you've united us to him. You, you've, you've made us share in his, who he is. You have baptized us into your son so that we could live a new life, worshiping and enjoying and having communion with you, the creator of the world. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts as we enjoy communion. I pray that you would stir our hearts as we celebrate the baptism of cat. I pray that you would stir our hearts to be drawn closer and closer to your presence. Help us be attracted to your gospel so that we could also have stability. In your name I pray, amen.